The future of project management is changing fast. On Projectified with PMI, we'll help you stay on top of the trends and see what's really ahead for the profession and your career. For an easy way to stay up to date on Projectified with PMI, go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music or pmi.org slash podcast. Hello, I'm Stephen May and this is Projectified with PMI. I'm here with my co-host, Tegan Jones, and in this episode, we're looking at leadership and what it takes to be an effective leader in a rapidly shifting business environment. Of course, some leadership skills are timeless. Leaders always need to have vision. They need to be driven. They need to be able to influence others in some form or another. But the demand for other skills really ebbs and flows in response to the changes in the market. It's interesting to see how organizations respond to those shifts because sometimes, you know, an existing leadership team can adapt and evolve, but sometimes they need a fresh perspective. It kind of reminds me of a movie that came out last year, Darkest Hour, where Gary Oldman plays Winston Churchill. Did you see that one? I hate to confess I have not yet seen it. It is on the list. I have not yet seen it. Well, it was really good. Um, It told the story of how Winston Churchill became prime minister of England during World War II. And as someone who is not a history buff, I was really surprised to learn that he wasn't the obvious choice at the time. He wasn't well-liked, and he didn't have a lot of the typical leadership qualities that people expected to see in the prime minister. He was gruff. He disagreed with people. He did things his own way. But his unique way of approaching conflict allowed him to stop the advance of the German army and ultimately lead the Allies to victory. And today, he's one of the most respected leaders in history, and that's precisely because he brought the right skills to the table at the right time. Leadership is definitely situational, and that means leaders need to be ready to adapt. And the skills they have relied upon to get them to where they are today may not be the same skills that they need to succeed in the future. And we actually have some data from Deloitte that shows how those skill sets are shifting. Deloitte's 2018 Global CIO Survey asked respondents which leadership skills had contributed the most to their personal success as a leader thus far. Then it asked them to rank which skills they believe would be most important in the next three years. And there were a few really interesting findings there. For instance, two-thirds of CIOs said that being results-oriented had been a key driver of their success, but only half said that would be a priority in the next three years. Looking ahead, two-thirds of CIOs say delivering major organizational change is what will drive their success in the future, while only 57% say that that skill set was a priority in their past. That shift does kind of make sense to me, uh, but but one of the stats that really surprised me from the survey was um, the fact that CIOs are deprioritizing this concept of grit or doing whatever it takes to succeed. About half of CIOs said that grit was one of the main things that got them to where they are today, but only a third say it's going to be equally important going forward. I must confess I struggle with this one a little bit because it almost sounds like we're downplaying or minimizing the importance of hard work. I don't think that's what we're saying. I think hard work will always be important, but I think it makes sense that it's kind of table stakes at this point and that working harder can only get you so far. At some point, leaders must, as we often say, work smarter. And that's something that I had the great pleasure of discussing with Robert Safian, who's probably best known for his tenure as the editor of Fast Company. During his time there, he helped the magazine transform from a print-only publication to a fully integrated digital media company, and that required a major rethinking of how he led his team. He had some great stories to share, and we'll get to those later in the episode. 
I always love to hear leaders like Robert Safian talking about how they were able to bring these big transformative visions to life. Um, but I want to start by talking about how you get there. So in our first segment, we're going to look at the skills that project and program managers need to develop if they want to rise up in the ranks. Barry Draskovich, who is the vice president of program and contract management for Parker Aerospace, outlines four key skills that he thinks people should focus on if they want to be seen as someone who can take charge and lead the organization in the right direction. Barry is the executive sponsor of Parker's PMO and oversees all of its project management activities, so he's got a pretty clear vision of what he's looking for in future leaders. As he should. Let's hear what he has to say. I think that there's four areas that somebody should really be paying attention to as they move through their career and get into more of a leadership role. Number one, it's sharpen your leadership skills. Number two, it's volunteer to take on the hard challenges. Number three, it's take some risks. And number four, it's never stop learning. So the first one, sharpen your strategic skills. We really tend to focus on tactical execution, especially engineers. They want to just get into the weeds, the day-to-day -day activities. I have a problem to solve. Let's solve this problem. But they never look up and try to figure out what's the bigger strategic perspective. And I could say that about engineers because I'm an engineer myself and I've been in that same situation. But I think that, that probably uh, same mentality or situation resides across all of the functions within our organization and all the leaders. It's how do you sharpen your strategic skills to be able to figure out where we are today and where we need to be in five or 10 years and putting that plan together on how you get there. The second one I said was volunteer to take on the hard challenges. If you're just doing a great job on a project that's sort of so, so hum hum, you're not going to get noticed. You need to stick your neck out and ask the question, where is my value needed most within the organization and jump on those kinds of projects. The thing is, they're not going to be easy. They're going to be very challenging. But I think it's really important that you take on those challenging roles and demonstrate your skills on something that's impactful to the organization. The third one was take risks. Don't be afraid to fail. I think my greatest learnings occurred on projects and initiatives that I undertook that didn't go well. And you look back and you say, why didn't it go well? And how would I do that differently next time? If we always focus on the successes, I don't think you ever really learn because you use the same recipe over and over and over again, and you never improve yourself. And then the last one is directly related to that. It's never stop learning. We all have shortfalls. We all have blind spots. I think it's important that we understand what those shortfalls and blind spots are in ourselves and do something to directly impact them. We can always improve our ability to communicate with each other. We can always improve our, the ability that we influence the work that's being done and negotiate with each other. So I think it's really on the soft skills side that we have our biggest gaps within our workforce. And that's not just the rank and file workforce, that's the leadership workforce also. So I think focusing on those soft skills is really where we need to be paying most of our attention. You know, being comfortable with failure is something a lot of guests have touched on recently. And it makes sense with markets evolving so quickly, there's an increased need to make decisions faster and take more risk in the face of many more unknowns than perhaps we were dealing with in the past. Yeah, and I think a lot of organizations are starting to see that in this environment, senior leaders can't make big decisions in a vacuum. They need to bring in more voices and they need to validate their thinking way more than they've done in the past. And that's okay. Nobody has all the answers. 
Plus, being in a leadership position can actually create blind spots around issues that are pretty obvious to the people working under you. That was one of the themes of my conversation with Robert Safian, the founder of the Flux Group and former editor of Fast Company. He talked a lot about what it takes to build the kind of culture where ideas flow freely across the organization, and he had some pretty good advice for leaders dealing with digital disruption. He's had such an incredible career, so I'm really looking forward to hearing what he has to say. Bob, you've talked a lot about Gen Flux or Generation Flux and the age of Flux, and you've really made this a focal point in your work in the last couple of years. Give us a little background on that concept since it informs so much of what you communicate these days. Sure. Well, Generation Flux to me refers to two things. It refers to the era that I believe we're living through now, this time of rapid high velocity change that seems to show little signs of slowing down. And I really believe that there is a sea change underway in the way our world operates, driven largely by technology, but by the combination of technology and cultural factors. And this era requires uh, new kinds of skills and new kinds of approaches for all of us. And so Generation Flux also refers to a group of people, to the kinds of people who are best positioned to thrive in an environment that is moving around as quickly as this one is. When I talk about this group of people, they're not defined by chronological age, right? You can be young or old and be a member of Gen Flux. The key attribute is your mindset and a willingness and ability to learn and adapt to all of these changes that are coming at us faster and faster than ever. You've spent a lot of time paying attention to trends in business, trends in technology, and really that also translates over to trends in executive leadership. So what are some of those trends that are influencing the mindset that today's generation or up and coming generation of executive leaders really have to understand? The initial round of my research and my reporting around Generation Flux was about the reality that it's not necessarily just job hopping, but the changing of jobs, changing of careers, changing of topic. This, this is a, a constant state that we have to get comfortable with. And I think there are a lot of ramifications for that on the part of leaders about how you think about building a team, whether retention, which is the way classic HR measures management, right, is really the goal. Sort of the best way to attract and retain the talent you need at any time. And it's a much more fluid definition about what your workforce is and what your teams are, and that people may work for you and may leave and then they may come back. So that was the sort of the first phase of what I looked at with Generation Flux. The next phase focused even more directly on leadership. And initially, my expectation was that the primary feature of a Generation Flux organization would be a real bottom-up sensibility, that ideas are coming from the bottom and leadership is less important. And as I looked at this more and more and looked at the companies that I think represent this kind of idea, it became apparent that leadership was more important than ever because creating an environment where those kinds of ideas can flow in both directions, up and down, and clarifying what the mission and the purpose of the organization is so that those ideas can be clarified and funneled in the right places makes leadership more important than ever. So how does that then affect strategic decision-making 
whether it's in the major programs or whether it's in the corporate strategy at the high level. But how does that culture perform differently uh, when it comes to making strategic choices? The role of the leader is to set a framework, right? We've always had discussions about how leadership is all about setting a vision for an organization. But effectively, the decision-making was very narrow in hierarchically designed organizations. The recognition in an age of flux is that the opportunities and the challenges that we're being faced with are much more varied than they've ever been before. You never know what kind of brain or combination of brains, combination of intelligences, right, are going to be ideal for each of the new kinds of problems that are coming our way. And so leadership requires creating an environment where all of those ideas can flow and where action can be taken on them sometimes quickly without having to go all the way up the chain of command. But then it requires that the leader themselves has to be much clearer and the organization has to be clearer about what are we really in business to do? What are we really trying to do? What are our core values, our core approaches? You led Fast Company as it transitioned from being really a print magazine to a digital media company. How did you know it was time to make that change and then to connect that decision-making to the execution? What were the early steps that you took to start moving in that direction? Listen, I have always loved putting together a print magazine. It was a fun task. It had a lot of impact. At the same time, I had to recognize looking at where my readers, my audience was spending their time and where they were moving, I could not be you know, beholden to just one medium, just one outlet. That became the prevailing idea. Listen, we have to meet our audience where they are. And wherever they are, we have to give them that experience. The challenge was how to make all of that variety of content feel cohesive. And a lot of that had to do with sort of recognizing what the strategy was behind our brand and our business, what we were doing that was different. And there were tools that we would use at different times to sort of refocus ourselves about what are we really about? What makes something a fast company story, event, video? What is that? And those were exercises that we never stopped doing. We would test with every project. As you saw the output of Fast Company shifting so dramatically as you moved into this uh, digital space, that being uh, the focus, really creating a digital media company, how did you reshape the teams or reshape the talent pool uh, in order to deliver on that vision? So you're building a portfolio that is not defined by hierarchy in the same ways that we have historically done it, right? You have people at different levels that you're filling in, but you're doing it in terms of their capabilities around what you're specializing in and what you're iterating on. And there's an acknowledgement in your talent building and your process that some of those folks are not going to be with you for as long. I spent some time earlier this year with Daniel Eck, who's the founder and CEO of Spotify, the music streaming company in Stockholm. And Daniel talks about how his key leadership team, he's not hiring them, uh, well, he's giving them you know, jobs and titles. He, he thinks about it that he's hiring them for a mission, for a specific mission 
that is going to last for two years. He's built his structure and his team around that idea. You know, the, the challenge of the next two years may require a different kind of talent than what I had the last two years. When you look across the vast pool of leaders that you have access to, what do you see as the gap? What, what are some of the key skills, whether those show up as hard skills or, or soft skills, what are some of the key skills that you see as lacking or often lacking across that large pool of leaders today? In many ways, the hardest thing that we all have to grapple with, whether we're leaders or wherever, wherever we are in an organization, is the resistance to change that is a natural sort of human way of, of approaching things. We, we tend to want to make things stable, right? And it's hard to say, well, actually making things stable is not really my job. My job is to make an environment that is creative so that we can continue to do the work of value that we do and remain relevant in doing it. You know, there's a, a professor at Harvard uh, Business School who I talked to a while ago, um, Hiro Takeuchi, who talked to me about the difference between sort of outside-in strategy and inside-out strategy. You know, this the the idea of of outside-in strategy that you you look out to a marketplace and you see that there's a gap there, and so you create a product to fill that gap, and uh, then you expand from that niche. And that's uh, that's very that's very uh, practical and makes a lot of sense. Works often. Inside out is different, and it's sort of you have a vision of a world that doesn't exist, and you're there trying to bring it to fruition. Right. This is what Amazon is about. Right. Um, this is what Google is about. It's sort of there's a world of the future, even Facebook. And uh, you know, I think modern leaders have to marry both of these things, right? You can't just be inside out and you can't just be outside in. You have to bring both of those things to bear on the challenges in the environment that, that we're in. But if you have that inside out vision, if you recognize or have a, an appreciation about where you're trying to get to, that becomes the filter for making all of those next stage decisions. That's fascinating. And I was just thinking as you were describing that and sharing some of the some of the people that you've talked with, you have probably had conversations with as many of the relevant leaders, uh, the kind of leaders we're talking about as anybody on the planet at this point. So what is it that stands out to you when you think across the leaders that are succeeding in, uh, in this generation flux environment? What is it that's the unexpected thing that has surfaced for you? You know, the thing that tends to unify a lot of these characters is their incredible passion for what they're trying to create. And I know that may, that may sound simple, but, you know, some folks just have unbelievable desire and passion about wanting to bring something into the world. And you can't manufacture that enthusiasm. And that allows them to move through what are an unending stream of disappointments and you know detours. None of this stuff happens in a straight line. It looks like it happens in a straight line. We talk about 
this term innovation that gets used and thrown around as if innovation is something that like you just do this and, you know, let me just be like Apple and, you know, here it's going to happen, right? As opposed to recognizing that, hey, when Steve Jobs first heard about the idea of the app store, you know, he didn't want there to be an app store. Remember, you, you used to not be able to put any apps on your iPhone, right? You had to jailbreak the phone to put any apps on it. This was not something he wanted to control all of that. And over time, he realized, oh, actually, this is a good thing. I can build on this. The passion about the way he saw technology in your hands being able to sort of change and, and drive the future allowed him to to be open to things that were different from what his you know, starting position was. But once he saw that, he didn't resist it and he didn't, he owned it, you know, he owned it. And I think that's what starts to happen with these leaders. They become as passionately embracing of the next turn as they are the one they're in now. Bob, you've been incredibly generous with your time. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Before you take off, I want to ask you one more thing. So as we've talked about all these skills and characteristics and capabilities and mindsets that play into being Gen Flux leaders and the future Gen Flux leaders, does character play a role? Well, I, I do think that having a mission and a purpose as a business person, as an individual, is a key filter in deciding what kind of place you're going to work, the way you're going to work, and how you're going to work. I believe business is a vehicle for progress. I believe every business is a platform that can be used to improve the human condition. And I think that business people who recognize that and lean into that and use their opportunity uh, for that a higher purpose that that will create better businesses, more satisfying careers, and hopefully a more, more meaningful world for all of us. I'm going to paraphrase Bob Safian says, use your powers for good. <laughs> and with that, Bob Safian gets the last word. Bob, it has been a pleasure having you here. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to Projectified with PMI. If you liked this episode, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music. We'd love your feedback, so please leave a rating or review.